Hello, hi, Rock, and welcome to our daily devotional. And, and you bear with me on this. Advent is a time when we should think about who our enemies are. And I think you'll see what I mean in just a moment as we read here in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I think, you know, Christmas time, Advent, and, you know, any holiday is a time when we naturally think of uh, those who are closest to us. We think of our, our family. We think of our close friends. And, and here is a passage where uh, Jesus is very clearly t telling us to think about who our enemies are because we are to intentionally reach out across these divides to, to be peacemakers, not just peace lovers, but peacemakers trying to make peace with our enemies, to do good for those who hate us. And even this question, uh, question of like the right kind of people, like the good and the evil or the, the just and the unjust, God kind of does away, at least for us, does away with that question, pointing out that if we want to be like God, God sends his rain to, on the, the just and the unjust. He sends his son upon the good and the evil. Uh, interestingly enough, I think that those symbols might even mean a little bit of the opposite of the way we think of them. We think sun is good and rain is bad, but if you live in a desert climate, I think you get pretty tired of the sun and, and rain is celebrated because it brings life. But in any case, either way, however you interpret those, those symbols, the point is that God pours out God's grace upon all people and we should learn to love in a similar uh, fashion. And as I think about this, about loving your enemies, one of the most powerful examples of, a, of this that I think about, especially in connection with Christmas, are the, the numerous stories of times in war when people crossed the boundaries uh, between the fighting forces. In uh, There's a couple instances in the Civil War, but probably the most famous is in Christmas of 1914 along the, uh, the French border when uh, German and French and English forces came together and celebrated. They, they left their trenches. They It was one of the most bloody conflicts anyone had ever seen. They left their trenches and they came into the, the no man's land, this, this devastated area between them. And they began to exchange uh, chocolates and cigarettes and Christmas gifts. And they started singing carols and they, they even played a soccer game. And there was a priest who held a, a mass for people to worship together in the midst of this desolate uh, battlefield. They even came out uh, finally having the opportunity to bury many of their dead who had been uh, trapped in this no man's land uh, between them. And even there, uh, some of them were punished after that by some of their superiors. Uh, uh, people did not think that it was a great idea to develop feelings for those who were on the other side of the battlefield. And I think about like this little pocket of peace that they were able to attain even for just a moment and then recognizing that that occurred within a much larger structure of powers that had other interests that were going to push them, despite their momentary peace, push them into uh, back into war and back into 
uh, killing one another, even though it seemed that they had the motivation to want uh, peace between them. Um, and that makes me think, too, of the way that even with our best desires, we do not have the power to bring about the kind of peace that we we truly desire. It's going to take Jesus to return and break the structures of power, break the political structures of power and the, the structures of wealth power and, and all the other types of powers that have agendas that push us in ungodly directions, that Jesus will establish a new kind of, of, of power that is based on service and love that will allow, allow us to finally experience not just pockets of peace, uh, but but genuine peace. But in the meantime, I see this as a really powerful imperative and an invitation to create these pockets of peace wherever possible. Uh, little ceasefires, I think, for some of us, some of uh, imagine for people in our congregation or people listening right now, for some of us, our homes during the holidays might be those little uh, pockets of peace, little ceasefires between warring parties, people who come from different po uh, political perspectives or or perspectives on, on on religious issues or whatever it might be. And to just see this as an opportunity to, like Jesus says here, to be like our heavenly father and to pour out, who pours out his, uh, his son and his reign upon the just and the unjust alike indiscriminately. God is this kind of profligate God, just this prodigal God who just lovingly lavishes uh, all people. And waits to see their response. And I think that can be the invitation for us as we consider this time we're going to be spending on the holidays. It's so easy to focus just on our friends and family, but I really think there's an invitation here from Jesus to consider who our enemies are as well and how we might reach out to them, reach across these uh, boundary lines, these border lines, these battle lines uh, to potentially experience some peace between us. Uh, Dave, I'm wondering what you see in today's passage. Well, I want to just point out two things here. I think that can make a passage like this, I think even the way you've described it, which is totally true, can also seem very uh, utopian and inaccessible uh, because I think most of us um, bring our own assumptions that uh, actually distort what Jesus is saying here. Uh, the first thing I just want to start with, it, it just may be an ancillary point, but it's a quick one. Um, in verse 48, a lot of people get thrown off in verse 48. Uh, you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. Uh, well, that's a little disconcerting because I, I don't think I've achieved that yet. Uh, but here's the thing. And I, I think that when I hear the word perfect in English, what I'm thinking is, you know, sinless. Like, I mean, just absolutely righteous. Uh, I don't know that I can go 20 minutes and be perfect. I mean, if you're like counting my thoughts, you know what I mean? My motives. I just, I'm not. I'm just, I'm so far away. It's an unattainable goal. It just seems ridiculous. Uh, and it makes me just want to give up, honestly, if that's what the, the idea is. But actually the word perfect here doesn't mean, uh, you know, ideal uh, in the way that we would often say, but it's more of like when we talk about the perfect tense, it's a, you know, a completed tense. It's something that's now like done. Um, this, uh, the, the word for it, you know, I'll tell you, like, is actually uh, means mature, right? It means, um, Having become fully mature. So, you know, when you apply it to a tree, right, an acorn is not perfect, but a mature fruit-bearing oak tree is, all right? That's, now it's it's perfect. Now, does it mean the tree's perfect? No, it may have all kinds of bends and twists and might have some, you know, worms eating a couple of the, uh, the pieces of fruit. Who knows what all, but but it's, it is fully what it's supposed to be. And that's what Jesus is saying is, is in contrast to the passage we talked about yesterday, you know, we talked about the childish, childlike. 
In contrast to, to immature children, right, we're supposed to become now more like God, at, which is to say that we're, we're going to become, you know, adult Christians, right, mature. So, so read, that, read it that way. You are to become mature, even as your father in heaven is mature, is mature right? There's a way that that, and that maturity feeds others. That maturity is a gift to others. Um, so anyway, I hope that that, first of all, is just takes away one of those kind of stones that in people's shoe, keeps them being able to walk along with this. The second thing, um, I think it's so valuable. It's right. I think one of the really remarkable things about Christianity is that we are called to love our enemies. Uh, but let me tell you what we're not called to do. We are not called to like our enemies. Jesus never calls us to like our enemies. And in fact, you know, we love to think of Jesus just, oh, he just loves everybody. Well, yes, in one respect, but he had close friends who he treated different than other people, right? He had, you know, Peter, James, and John, the closest of all. He had in this uh, you know, group of 12. Uh, and, and so it's not that he treated everybody exactly the same, but he treated everybody with kindness and respect and generosity but that didn't mean they were the same levels of intimacy or anything like that, or even the same levels of affection. Jesus loved everyone. In fact, the rich young man is such an important text because it, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. So we know that Jesus loved him. And then Jesus said something to him that was hard. And we read in the text, the man walked away sad, right? So it wasn't that that Jesus then just makes everybody feel great. That's, I think, a lot of times we think, oh, love, I got to be a big pushover, make everybody else feel good. I, you know, there's just, that's kind of all it is. Um, but no, that's not what it is. That's not the kind of love we see in Jesus. And so we're not called to like everyone because some people are not likable. And yet they are to be loved, right? We're not called to pretend that people who hurt us are not hurting us. We're called to love them. It doesn't mean we're called to be close. It doesn't mean we're called to be intimate, right? There, there could be people that by bringing them into close enough proximity with me, I'm only going to kind of arouse their sinful nature and give it more room to, to, to maneuver. And in fact, not, I, I find that a, a way to love them is to actually have an appropriate boundary that you know keeps them from being in a situation where they're going to sin against me. Uh, and so... I, I just I think that sometimes our Pollyannish ideas of love make this seem oh so beautiful and yet so unreal. And and I think what we're really supposed to do is be kind and generous to everyone. Treat everybody the same. Whether they deserve it or don't deserve it, you just you treat them with gen generosity and kindness. So sunlight, I think you're right about the sunlight and rain actually being having a different effect in their culture than in ours. Uh, but but he, God sends his sunlight and, and his rain on, on everybody equally. What they do with that, how they respond to that, and then how God responds to them, that's going to end up being different. But God is gracious and, and, and kind to all people. And so I, I think that's really the call that Jesus says is, hey, we, we're not just going to pick sides and treat some people with affection and some people with derision. No, 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 no. The baseline is we treat everybody with respect, everybody with kindness. And then there are going to be other people. So that's the agape word. Those of you familiar with the Greek word for love. But then there's the, the phileo, right, which is the word for really for like or friendship, right, a brotherly kind of love. That actually is going to happen only with certain people. Uh, and in doing that, 
we are in fact following the pattern set by Jesus. Yeah, I 100% agree with everything you said. And yet those examples of like the Christmas truce of 1914 just really strikes me with the idea that if it didn't happen, no one would believe it. Like if you made a movie about a Christmas truce and it hadn't been real, people would have just said like, it's the most Pollyannish thing in the world. Yes. It's That's silly. Right. Yeah. And, and yet at the same time, there was this impossible, seemingly impossible moment of peace. And I, I wonder if sometimes we're in our self-protection, we're, we're not willing to take the chance that maybe we have more in common and more chance of phileo with somebody, this brotherly, uh, this uh, sibling kind of love uh, with someone else, just because we think we've just already put them in the category of good and bad, just and unjust, um, friend or foe. And, and and Christ is looking at least for us to, to be willing. Uh, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right situation, but be willing to take that chance if, if God should so lead us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think, I mean, I, I, I want to be people who are known for our love, not for the limits of our love. Uh, and I, I, I want to then kind of disabuse us of some of the, uh, the distortions of this that keep us from being willing to love at all. You know, I think we're going to need a lot of help with this. I think we need a lot of guides. We need each other, but we especially need God. So let me pray for us. Our good and uh, gracious God, we thank you that Jesus loved us in an impo seemingly impossible way, that while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Lord, I, I pray that uh, this Christmas, this Advent season, we would have wonderful times with our friends and our families. Lord, but I pray that you would keep our eyes open through your spirit to those opportunities where maybe a bridge can be built, a wall can be taken down, maybe someone who we normally wouldn't have a connection with where we are willing to cross that room, extend a hand of friendship, say hello, whatever it might be, Lord. Uh, keep our eyes open to the opportunities that your spirit might give us and give us courage through your spirit uh, to take those chances to cross the divide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I think one of the greatest marks of our spiritual maturity is the ability to genuinely love without having to like people first. And so I encourage you to go about your day. Look for people that you don't have to like yet and genuinely, in Jesus' name, love them. Do that. We look forward to seeing you again as we continue to learn from God's word.